Then you got the call to go on I'm a Celebrity. Johnny, it wasn't a call, I begged. <laughs> you know, people say, oh, I'm a celeb, came knocking. They didn't come knocking, I went knocking. <laughs> and I made ITV's life a misery. <laughs> this week on Walking the Dog, I went for a stroll in London's Hyde Park with the wonderful Georgia Toffolo and her Cavalier King Charles Spaniel Monty. George has been a hugely popular TV star ever since she first appeared on Made in Chelsea and then went on to become one of the most celebrated winners ever of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. She's since gone on to launch her own clothing range with online fashion brand Shein and become a best-selling author for Mills and Boone. She's just published her latest novel called Meet Me in Tahiti. It was a lovely sunny day when we met, which was appropriate because meeting Georgia really does feel like you've had a bit of sunshine poured on you. She's very positive and warm, and she has this incredibly infectious giggle, which you'll hear. We chatted about her childhood in Devon, her decision to abandon a law degree to focus on her media career, and the really unique friendship she formed with Stanley Johnson during I'm a Celebrity. And of course, we chatted about her fabulous boy, Monty, who she obviously adores, and anyone who loves their dog as much as Georgia is definitely my kind of person. I really hope you enjoy my chat with Georgia. And by the way, you can order her book, Meet Me in Tahiti Now, and do, because it's a fabulous read. I'll stop talking now and hand over to the woman herself. Here's Georgia and Monty. Oh, Monty. We've run out of wee-wee now. Oh, God, the pulling. Oh. I promise you, my dog is impeccably behaved. So he's been castrated? Where's no, he, he hasn't. Oh. He hasn't. It's just an injection. Because <laughs> I thought I had these wonderful ideas about, oh, I'm going to breed from him and all these things. And I said, well, why don't I just do this for six months? And it ended up, you know, Monty didn't have the, uh, the, the horn for about a year. <laughs> In the past week, he's quite um, rampant. <laughs> he's very excited. <laughs> well, I did get a lovely email from your PR because I didn't know whether to bring my dog Raymond. and. Your lovely team sent me the most discreetly worded email <laughs> saying, um, Monty has recently been chemically castrated, in quote marks. I mean, what so, an email to receive. It's worn off, so I think we're going to have to actually get it done now. I think I need to be a grown-up about it because he's my first dog. So I was trying to cling on to every single bit and actually living in London, I think I've just got to take the plunge and I think the, the knackers have got to come off. I think... <laughs> after the week of him humping. I'm sick of it. No more. <laughs> oh dear. Poor well, thing. I want to hear all about Monty and I'm going to introduce you formally first. I'm so thrilled to have on this podcast the very wonderful Georgia Toffolo. Georgia Toff Toffolo <laughs> because you're one of those people that's, that's known by a sort of moniker, a nickname, aren't you, a lot? Mm. And the Toff thing, I presume, that started, did that start at school? It did, it did. And then when I started doing telly, I mean, I joined Maiden Chelsea when I was 18. And, I mean, the nickname Toff, when you're on a show like that, is obviously, I'm just a walking <laughs> joke, you know? <laughs> I mean, and I said to them, please, I don't mind doing this silly show for, you know, a month or two on my gap year. But, God, I'm not going to have, you know, at the bottom of the screen... Toff in big letters and you know lo and behold I watched the first episode and of course Toff was right on the screen and, and now everyone calls me Toff you know when you're in the supermarket and you speak like me you know it is totally embarrassing having that nickname but I can't shake it because it's my surname so it sort of it stayed with me forever 
Shall we go this way? Oh, let's go and grab a coffee, Georgia. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's go, go this way, shall we? Oh, where was the coffee hut? I think it's down here. This looks What, good. one of those fun black cabbie ones? Oh, uh, yeah, what's that? I love them, you know, the green ones, the green sheds. And all the black cabbies to queue up for bacon sarni. <laughs> Darling, my dog. Well, let's meet your dog formally. Aww. So, introduce me to your dog, Georgia. So, this is Monty. He's, um... I don't really know what breed he is. He's definitely King Charles Cavalier, but we think he might have a little bit of cocker in him because he's got really long legs and quite a long nose. Um, so he, I got him in May, no, March of 2020. Um, Sounds like you've just taken the cocker out of him. I mean, quite. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, darling. And here's my first dog. And I just don't know what I would do without him. I mean, it was the best split-second decision that I've ever made. We're sort of like this like, blonde and ginger duo now. We go everywhere together and he's just he's yeah, amazing. He's got beautiful red hair. Yes, he? I just love him so much. And I'm really impressed that you've got a dog because it's quite... I suppose when you're young, I've got to be honest, Georgia, I mm. don't... I think I would have worried it would have tied me down, yeah. you know, and that I was out every night. And But yeah. that doesn't trouble you. Not at all. He comes everywhere with me. I mean, this dog is so well-travelled. I mean, he really does go everywhere. We, we've been away the last two summers. I only go to places where the dog can come. Um, and I've left him once last Christmas with my mum, and I hated it. I came home early. I mean, um, I'm fortunate that he can come with me to work. Most things he comes to. I don't know, we just, I think the sort of life that I have in London, everywhere I go is pretty dog friendly, and everyone yeah. knows him. But um, I've got him into quite bad habits, like sitting at tables and stuff, you know. Oh, I, <laughs> I know, but, but how can you deprive them of that? I used to do it with him when he was a puppy and think it was absolutely hilarious, and then they grow, and he still thinks he's meant to be at the table. Do you let Monty off the lead? Yes, I used to, until this happened, the hormones came back. Oh. He used to be, I mean, honestly, my dog, I've never had any problems with him. I think cause we live, we literally live around the corner. I had to make sure that he was sort of quite obedient. And we just, just said around the, the corner, so we should tell everyone oh, yes. where we are. Do you want to describe our location where we've met today? So we are sort of Knightsbridge end of Hyde Park, um, and it's just so lovely. And there's a really nice dog walking community. And I talk to all the oldies, and I love it so much. <laughs> and you see all the same faces, it's so lovely. Oh, nice policeman. Hello, policeman. Like that. On patrol, darling. <laughs> Hello. Oh, God, I'm totally weird. I don't drink tea or coffee. How weird is that? For, for no other reason, so I don't really like it. Do you want a water or a I can't go straight drink? in for a Diet Coke, can oh, I? yeah, why not? <laughs> do you think? I love a Diet Coke. Cheeky Zero <laughs> Diet Coke. Cheeky DC. Cheeky DC straight in the morning. I'd love one. Yes, please. Yeah. Diet Coke for me. Thank you so much. Can I have Thanks. a chai latte, please? Cool, that's a nice order. Well, I can't, oh, I'm showing off a bit because I'm with you. I wouldn't normally order that. No, thank you. Oh, that's smart. I just thought, she's so sophisticated and Chelsea, I'm going to show off with a chai latte. What's Monty doing? I don't know, you're just so excited, aren't you? Why are you so excited, my darling boy? What is it? Come on, Toff. Hurry off. I'm following you. Should we head into the park? Yeah, let's. You know we're going to have to do this again so you can see how well-behaved the dog actually is. <laughs> the deterioration in his behaviour in the past five days. Like, I'll never get over it. I really like Monty because he's... He's quite sprightly. Well, he reminds me of you a bit. <laughs> All over the place. <laughs> and very loud. <laughs> no, because... Unpredictable. <laughs> 
No, I would say he's got a really lovely, warm energy. And yeah, I, he's very good with other dogs as well. That's the most important thing for me. I love that. You know, the big, scary ones, the little ones. He's good with that. Yeah. Come on, darling. We're going, we're going, we're going. Wait. So, did you have dogs growing when you were growing up? No, I didn't. Didn't have a dog. So, can you imagine when he arrived? I was neurotic. I was watching breathing throughout the night. I mean, how insane is that? I just thought, I've got to get this right. And then I, I look back now and I think, God, I was totally nuts. So we have this vet called Tony the Vet, and I found him on Google. And he comes to the house, and because when I needed Monty's second jabs, loads of the vets weren't offering it because it was height to pandemic. They were saying it's non-essential, you can leave it a couple of weeks. Anyway, Tony the Vet turned up, and he's become a really good friend of mine because, as you said, I'm always on the blow with Tony the Vet. I'm saying, because over the summer I took him on the airplane, I'm going, Tony, is it, maybe I should give him some lavender oil to calm him. <laughs> Tony's like, Georgie, you need to stop. Like, just chill out. And I was like, well, he actually had a funny tummy this morning. And he said, yes, it's completely normal. Sometimes dogs do have a funny tummy. I go, oh my God, it's the end, you know. But it did soon wear off. After about two months, I really relaxed into it. But where does your dog sleep out of interest? Oh, my bad. Yeah, quite right. Monty's <laughs> head on the pillow job. And I always looked at those people before I got a dog. And I thought, how disgusting is that, living in central London and having your dog in the bed? Never mind head on the pillow. Did you do all of that when you first got him? I bought all these expensive things. And then I soon came to my senses and I was straight down to pets at home. <laughs> you know, like, like a memory foam mattress for the bloody dog and the dog hates it. Won't go near it, likes the £10 one. <laughs> Wait, bow tie collars in tweed. Oh, yeah, 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 all of it. I did it all. And then he grew, and I thought, right, that's it. You're having one lead, one bed, one collar, and that's that. So tell me a little bit more about your childhood when you were growing up. You're in Devon, is that right? Yes, that's right. So South Devon, Torquay. I was born down there. And it's just the most. I had a really, really lovely, lovely childhood, which is always a little bit slow for me. I always sort of thought that... It was like a period of my life and I was just so excited to get up to London. I always knew it, that I would end up here. Um, and I went to the most gorgeous schools and where Torquay is, I mean, everything is just so beautiful. Um, so yeah, it was just a really sort of charmed childhood. And your parents really were, what's in, what I find interesting about you, you know, it's that thing that people make assumptions, don't oh, they, constantly. about you. And actually your parents are sort of self-starters and entrepreneurs, really, Completely, that's it. And my parents too, they, was, they were together when, obviously, my, when my mum got pregnant, obviously, and um, they split up when I was really, really, really tiny. Um, and they've always just remained very good friends. It was just, you know, to my delight, they were, I'm, I'm thrilled that they didn't stay together, if that makes sense, because they're so wonderful not together. Um, and my mum remarried when I was three. Um, my dad's had a billion and one girlfriends, and it's just so comical. <laughs> and he's a real party animal, sort of like I am. I've got bits of faith in my parents. And, you know, you mentioned everyone thinks that I come from this sort of, you know, landed gentry, you know, all this dosh flying around, all these wonderful things. And I, I'm so touched that people think that way. However, um, my dad just worked really, really hard and sent me to a school. And I came out speaking like this, and my dad's real sort of Devonian, West Country accent. Really? Yeah, and he says to me, why do you speak that way? I said, well, it's your bloody fault sending me to that school. I came out like this. Um, but they're just, I mean, yeah, as I said, I was really, really lucky with both of them. And my stepfather as well. You know, it's just been a really um, 
And what did your dad, is, it, is your dad called Gary? Yeah, Gary yeah. Bennett. <laughs> love Gaz, honestly, love him. He makes me die. He's like one of the, the best people in the world. We'll go from, you know, for his 50th birthday, we went to LA together. Last summer, we were in Ibiza together. You know, he's a real, um, he's quite a special guy. And like his outlook on life is really special for me because it keeps me really grounded. He's just like, right, you've just got to be happy. You know, stop chasing everything. So what will he you know, say, Georgia, Gaz, if he rings you up to give me a bit of a burst <laughs> of right, love? <laughs> okay, hi, Pops, how are you? <laughs> I just want to find out what naughtiness he's been up to over that week. He's coming up to stay with me this weekend. Oh, is he? Um, yeah, but I'm really, really close to my dad. And everyone, so when they meet us, they say, what do you mean this is your dad? I'm like, why wouldn't he be my dad? You know, we look very similar as why, well. Why do people say that? Because they're no, no, expecting no. sort of Lord Grantham to Yeah, I know, up. and he's just totally the opposite, which I love. I find that quite fun. And so your dad, tell me what your dad did. <laughs> you nearly asked. <laughs> Auntie. <laughs> if this isn't right. Monty. <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> I actually can't bear it. Okay, Georgia, do you want to explain what's happening? Okay, so the dog's trying to run up the tree. Or, or rather, round the tree. And he's taking me with him. Darling, I mean, you need to chill. I know, I know. Listen, listen, I know you like that squirrel, but listen to me, Monty. That squirrel is not rightly designed for you. Oh, did I bring my treat? Oh, tell me, that, that'll sort us out, maybe. Oh, that I bloody forgot after all that. I forgot my treats, Monty. But listen, we'll find a little clearing. Come on, we'll go and sit you down. So go on, so your parents... Your dad, and what did your dad do? So dad, when I was younger, he owned like a car repair thing. So it's not a very technical name, but that's what he did. And then, since then, he's just done loads of bitty, bitty work. And I think he found that business very stressful, mm. which I sort of understand. You know, lots of late night stuff. I remember being at his house when I was younger. And the phone would go and someone had broken down and then some of the staff wouldn't turn up and my dad would have to go out. And I'd be sort of packaged back to my mum at 3am. You know, stuff like that. And then I, he sold that business and he owns some commercial property down in Torquay. And he does now, he loves the workout of removing scrap. And I mean, is it called scrap? It is scrap. Waste. Yeah. And your, you know what I mean? And your mum, what, did she work as well? <laughs> mum hasn't done that much, if I'm honest. <laughs> She's very good at going for lunch. <laughs> she plays a bit of tennis. She's... I hope she wouldn't mind me saying it, it's fine. <laughs> but um, mum is sort of like the queen social butterfly of Torquay, that's it. <laughs> I mean, she's totally brilliant. <laughs> but not that much. Mimi, come here. Good boy, well done. Well done, well done. You were an only child, weren't you? Yes, so neither of them have had any more. I, I've never had that craving for a sibling either. I think, um, yeah, I've just been quite content with being the only one. I was obviously spoilt rotten, which is probably why I'm not adverse to having a sibling. Um, but no, it was, um, I just can't imagine, because they, they really weren't together for that long. Mm. And um, it's just everything has worked out quite well. Mm. Under the circumstances, it actually could have been a bit of a shit show, but it hasn't yeah. been. I feel like quite well-rounded. Where's the dog gone? Monty! You're a real sort of warm extrovert, aren't you? Were your parents like that? And was that the sort of household atmosphere you grew up in? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the one thing that doesn't make sense from 
my childhood is how much I do love current affairs and politics because I, it really wasn't spoken about much. You know, they would go and vote, but that was sort of the end of it. And even now my parents say, we do not know where you got this. Sort of, it's, it is an obsession. Um, no one knows where that came from, but every single other part of my personality has either definitely come from my mum, my stepdad, or my dad. Or even I was very close, I was very, my, lost my grandfather last year. And actually it would have been his birthday today, which is so sweet. So it's my granny this morning. But um, I was very, very close to my grandparents. I used to spend all my holidays with them. I think only kids. Mm -hmm. I do think they're quite sophisticated and adulted in a way and mature because they're... Monty's doing a doo-doo. <laughs> Let's get, have you got poo bags? Yeah. Yeah, I've got them. You know, kids that don't have siblings. Yeah. I think, because they spend so much of their time with adults, I tend to think yeah. they're quite, um, yeah, quite sophisticated, really, sort of developmentally, and they, you feel like you're talking to an adult. They're sort of quite impressive, I think. Do you think you are more mature as a result? I do think so, and I think I crave a lot of adult company, mm. and I think that'll definitely be because of, when I was younger, I just went everywhere with them. And yeah, everyone was always a lot older than me. I'm much more comfortable with people who are older than me, than my own friendship group and their age, you know, a similar age to me, which I find quite interesting. Why is that, do you think? I really don't know. I wonder whether I love, I love anyone that's got amazing life experience. And I just always felt more comfortable. I'd love to know what the sort of psyche is behind that. But I look at, you know, it's my birthday next Saturday and I was going through the guest list and I went back to the guest list that I did for a couple of years ago. I mean, everyone's like 50, 60, you know, about to pop their clogs. I'm thinking, is that really what, <laughs> what I want to surround myself with? But I obviously do. And I, I don't know what it is. I think I love how it enriches my life, you know? Do you know what I think? I think I was a bit similar to you. And I mm. think it's to do with always feeling that I would learn, I would come away knowing something I didn't know Monty, before. Monty, this way. Moo moo. Good Monty. boy. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I really love that. I mean, I can't guarantee that's going to happen today, but I'll give it a go. I think it will. Oh. <laughs> it's so lovely to walk around with you. I mean, I can't tell you how many times the dog and I have stormed around this park. <laughs> you know, sometimes I've got a stinking hangover and I'm looking at him thinking, God, I wish you could walk yourself. And I always do this exact bit because that's closest to where we live. It's so lovely in Hyde Park. So where are it's you nice. living at the moment? Actually, I say where we live. We're actually, um, we've moved four times in the past five weeks. Um, we moved out of our house, which is sort of like just Belgravia over there. And this is we, you and Monty? Me and the dog, yeah. So moved out in June and I took the dog away for the summer, and which is amazing. And I thought if I'm saving money on rent, why don't we go and have an amazing time? Um, and I got back and I thought, well, it would be really easy to find somewhere because I thought there'd been this mass exodus and everyone hated London now, you know, and everyone was leaving. Well, quite the opposite. Um, and everything I view, I'll make an offer on and then someone will go, you know, so much higher. And I'm thinking, but how can you say that that house is worth that? And I'm trying to stand my ground, yeah. but it's just quite unsettling. Um, and I, this, this jacket that I'm wearing is the only jacket I've got because I've only got bikinis and summer clothes. When you were at school, mm -hmm. I got the impression you had, you experienced a bit of, bullying when you were younger just from reading your first book you know your kind of was it just standard girls school stuff yeah it was exactly what you've just said it was exactly that I was 12 13 
I was pretty sporty, I was quite academic, I loved hanging out with all the boys at the other school and I just think it was a bit of a recipe for some quite immature girlies to be a bit nasty and I was so lucky, I remember I, I said to my dad, woke up at his house and I said dad I don't want to go to school today and dad nearly fell over, he said what do you mean you don't want to go to school and I'll never forget it that day, he said right get in the car we're going up, I'm going to speak to them I was so embarrassed. Can you imagine? You know, at that age, you don't want your dad going up and be like, oh, someone's being nasty to my little girl. You know, it's cringe. It's not good. And dad wasn't very impressed as to how they handled it. And um, he went and looked at some other schools for me. And I moved within a week. I know, insane. It was the best thing that dad ever did. I think at the time he was like, oh my God, am I making the right decision? You know, as you would do, you'd think, right, get on with it, grin and bear it. It'll be okay. Um, and he moved me and I cannot tell you what an amazing, amazing school I went to. And it was mixed, I was boarding, mm. and it was just the perfect, I think for an only child like me who's quite um, outgoing, mm. it was just the perfect setup. And I didn't have a, a minute's trouble after that. And I sometimes, you know, if anyone ever says to me, oh, I've got a child who's, you know, struggling with a bit of bullying at school, I think if you're able to, which I know that most people aren't, if you are able to get them out of it, I think, um, Sometimes those situations just don't get better, they get worse. Um, and I think yeah. you're right, I think there used to be much more this attitude of just put up with it, it'll make you better and it'll make you stronger. And it's like, well, no, sometimes what it does is just make you internalise shame. Yeah, completely. Which you take through with you for the rest of your uh -huh. life into relationships and jobs. Yeah, and <laughs> I so agree with you. And actually, it was just a short little period in my life. Mm. It was a transitional thing. And... Um, yeah, I was really lucky. The school that I went to, it's in the middle of nowhere in Devon, uh, off the M5 in a place called Tiverton. And um, I just loved, I think the shift for me was that it was so cool to be good at stuff. Whereas it, I didn't feel that way. It was sort of embarrassing if you were quite nerdy. And I was always pretty academic. Um, whereas at the school, at Blundell's where I went to, um, it was so cool to be good at stuff. Which I think is an amazing ethos to have at the centre of the school. Do you think... Possibly, I know this is possibly hard for you to say, but mm. you can see that there might have been jealousy at the root of that bullying. I think perhaps now, gosh, I mean, it was like 13 years ago. Yeah. I think having a normal amount of perspective on things, that would probably be a rational mm. thing to think. Mm. At the time, God, that was not what I was thinking. I just thought I was a total loser and they didn't want to be friends with me. I mean, how lame is that? I mean, <laughs> I mean but it sounds so silly now, you know? Um, but at the time, it was like, I, I'm sure my parents probably thought that. Yeah. But how is that a knee-jerk? I think when I see someone, I look at my, my friendship group, and they're full of like really cool, powerful girls and women. Because I want to be around them, I want to celebrate that. I sort of want to be a part of whatever they've got going on that is super cool. Mm. And I, I think that's the normal response to someone being good at stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, but no, it wasn't great. I mean, I, I wrote about it in the first book because I thought it was quite important to. And when I did the jungle thing, you know, it, it, everyone just kept on saying how happy I was all the time, which is true. It's true. I've had a charmed life so far. But I think it's important to also say, like, gosh, you know, everyone goes through a little bit of an iffy time, but it happened and that was that. I want to go back, Georgia, just to Made in Chelsea, which is really what mm. kick-started everything for you. And you were... How old were you when that started? And how did that happen? How did that come about, Made in Chelsea? Gosh, it's quite a funny story, actually. So I remember the first episode of Made in Chelsea ever. And I was, I must have been year nine, because I had to go to bed at half nine, halfway through. So we had to watch the second half the next day. And we, I was, we were just all so obsessed with it. And then when I moved to London when I was 18, my dad said, if you really want to take your gap year in London, you've got to go and bloody work. I was like, okay, I can do that. 
So I started nannying in the day. I was the clipboard girl at a nightclub on the King's Road in the evening. What a juxtaposition that is. Um, and I started hanging around with some of the older boys, but I was only 18. Mm. And one of my friends was going on the show and she said, oh, one of the producers asked, would you walk in with me? It's, it's like an extra situation. I said, well, how much are they paying me? And um, it was quite a nominal, nominal fee, but any extra dosh at that time was just so great. And I did it and suddenly I, um, I don't know what it was. I just think my personality, my way, you know, doing reality telly is just perfect for me. Maybe don't drink that. Come on, let's get back on the path. I should have worn my Wellingtons. I do have one pair with me. Oh, Pink Hunters. Oh, I love them. Love them. <laughs> so chic. So tell me about... So Made in Chelsea, we were talking about that. So you yeah. got caught... Let's start from there. You got called along and you thought the money's OK. I thought it was fine. It's a bit of fun. I thought my parents will never find out because I won't even be in any of the scenes. And the following September, October, I was meant to be going off to Bristol to study law. And I just thought, great, it'll be a funny little interlude. And it just snowballed. It went from zero to 100 within about three weeks. And I was in loads and loads of scenes. And I was so nervous telling my parents because I worked so hard and I was so dead set on doing the law thing. And I thought that, how could you ever be taken seriously in a court of law after you've been clowning around on some silly E4 programme? I mean, <laughs> and I called up my parents the night before the first episode was going out and they were both so shocked. But they said, darling, do you know, it's an experience. Just go with it. It's fine. Um, and then I soon realised, I think I'm fiercely independent. And I saw that this was a viable way of me not being reliant on anyone mm. and being able to sustain living in London. And then the following year, I mean, it went so quickly. Um, we were filming all over the place and having the best time ever, as you can imagine. Um, you know, lots of drinking, partying, you know, really, really fun, fun times. And the following September rolled round, and I thought, there is no way I'm moving down to Bristol. I mean, there is no mm. way in hell. Mm. Um, I want to stay in London. So I said um, to my parents, I'm going to sort of go through clearing and see what I can get. And I got a place at Westminster University mm -hmm. to do law. I mean, what a silly error that was, because I was so distracted with the whole telly thing and so busy. It just sort of went on the back burner, and that was that. I didn't even do the first semester. You know, but it's all worked out very well. I remember you talking once, it might have been in your book, but yeah. I remember you talking about a moment when you were at studying law and mm. everyone was going around introducing themselves. So and there was a really horrible incident, Georgia, wasn't there? It was so bad. I think that's probably why I was so put off. They they basically went round, the tutor was standing at the front of the class and they said, right, can everyone go round in a circle, tell us a bit about yourself, maybe what A-levels you did, why you want to study law. Everyone stood up and um, I, it got to me and I stood up, I said, well, you know, my name's Georgia, I did English, history and economics um, and, you know, that's it, I'm really excited to do law. And this person put his hand up at the back of the class and the tutor said, yes, what? And he, he said, you forgot to mention that you, you're a made in Chelsea wanker, basically. And I was like, oh my God, did that actually just happen? And it was so brushed over. And I thought, is this one of the, is the show one of the worst decisions I've ever made? Because everything that I was worried about with the show stopping my aspirations to do something a bit more serious sort of came true on the third day of university. And that was the moment of realization where I thought, right, you've either got to shape up and 
distance yourself totally from the show and put it down as you know a funny experience on mm. your gap year or you've got to sack off the sort of more academic side of things and go for it with the show and I'm so glad that I sacked that off um, because it's just been the most amazing ride since. Your experience would have been very different from everyone else because you're having to shoulder, you're walking into a room and there's, I guess there's resentment and, um, but also that's incredibly undermining. Mm, it wasn't great. Yeah. And they didn't like the way that it was handled either. But then again, this is why I'll never understand like, people moaning about, you know, the press being too intense and all of this type of stuff. You know, if you put yourself on a show, that is watching, I mean, at the time, I mean, a million people were watching it every Monday. What did I expect? Of course people are going to have prejudgments. Of course I'm going to have difficulty, you know, being anonymous. You sort of waver that as soon as you do telly. Mm -hmm. And I'm big enough and ugly enough to know that. Um, but I was quite shocked. Yeah. And people either like you or they don't. Um, yeah. And that's why I've always tried to be quite authentic and just unapologetically myself, because I think you can get yourself in a real muddle if you are trying to be someone else whilst also not yeah. playing a character. You know, I am George Toffler, I'm not anyone else on a show. Um, when you did Made in Chelsea, did they, did they say to you, we want you to, I mean, I, we all know and understand yes. that it's scripted reality. Mm, mm. We, I always say to my friends, we have this funny thing that whenever you bump into a bunch of people at once say, oh no, it feels like this has all been set up by Made in Chelsea. <laughs> I know. But do you, is there a sense of you ramping, should we sit down for a bit? Oh, is there a sense of you ramping up your, personality a bit yeah I suppose so I think the big thing that I've always found quite interesting is that um, there's sort of this unspoken understanding mm. that if you don't give a lot of your life i.e romance breakups fallouts you just yeah. don't get that much airtime and I think that's the way it's executed and I was always pretty strong um, I just said you know I'm not I'm not going to get seriously dumped on the telly you probably won't see me fall in love I'm not going to cop off with someone and you're going to talk about it the next morning you know it's just not what I do however you will get some light fun different relief that I think that show does need yeah and it was always we always had this joke with me and the cast members that you know I should have been bumped off after one episode it's totally boring you know I never had a storyline <laughs> in four years I didn't um but you know they'd send me to you know some sort of old library with some weirdo and we'd sit and talk and it would be quite a funny scene for three minutes and that's how I navigated through and I think because of that I've got quite a healthy mindset when it comes to mm. telly and I don't look back on it with you know dread or any regrets because it was just a totally brilliant time but I think that's because I had such strong boundaries yeah um and I think they knew that if they pushed I mean, it doesn't mean to say I mean I probably went on three dates but I mean three dates in four years are really not that good <laughs> And even if I did have a cheeky snog, I made sure they never found out. You know? <laughs> and then you got the call to go on, I'm a celebrity. Darling, it wasn't a call, I begged. <laughs> you know, people say, oh, I'm a celeb, came knocking. They didn't come knocking, I went knocking. <laughs> and I just, I just knew that I wanted to do that show. I just, I knew, I just knew it in me that um, it would be a really good one. <laughs> and I made ITV's life a misery. <laughs> constant begging and I must have been a really late call up because I know that lots of people in my year they knew that they were doing it in the April I got the call up at the beginning of October <laughs> so there must have been some young posh who dro dropped out and they thought oh, well we'll have to have that tough on it um, but what a, it's amazing. it turns out it was the right decision I oh, mean it's just amazing it, what what why do you think 
I realise it's hard to be objective about yourself, but mm. I'm going to force you. Why do you think you did so well on that show and people really warm to you? That makes me die inside. I still can't believe that anyone even um, wanted me to stay in. I thought I was going to go out first. <sighs> do you think maybe because I was out of all of them the most comfortable in front of a camera? So I was just me. I really don't think it's anything that special winning a show like that. I mean, God, it is amazing. But I don't think there's this insane formula. I just think the British public, we've watched enough telly. That mm. show's been going for 20 years. And I think you can just tell whether someone's being genuine. I think also I for me, it's also that I think people tend to carry such shame with them about where they're from and who they are mm. and this desperation to fit in. And I think what, it, what I certainly felt watching you was that you were completely unapologetic about who you were and you seemed comfortable with yourself. Oh, so nice, thank you. I hope so. Yeah, I feel that actually. I really do. And I hope that comes across. 21. Um, yeah, it's just, <laughs> still so weird. And you, did that really change your life? I got beyond words. I mean, I went in there, I wasn't anonymous, but I was sort of like a bit character on MIC for a few years. Mm. And I came back, I landed at, um, I, mean, I just couldn't sleep for days and days and days. Because I actually, it's quite bizarre, I was very happy in there. Mm. It was a period of my life, those three and a half, whatever, four weeks um, that I was in there. It was the first time in a really long time that I just had true contentment. And I loved, um, I loved that, you know, I wasn't drinking, I wasn't going out. I was mm. just sat, going to get a bit of water, putting it on the fire, <laughs> going to win some food. And I was with some really amazing people. And I really loved the simplicity of it. And I knew that all of my family were safe and healthy. I don't get homesick. It's never a feeling that I've, I've had. Do you think um, maybe boarding school got you used to that? I think so. And mm. I think I'm also just not wired up like that. I, I honestly think even if I didn't go to a boarding school, because I remember even when I was quite, you know, 10, 11, She's quite indifferent. Love all of them. Uh, you know, my, my mum, no. She has to force me to go home. I'm really happy speaking to her on WhatsApp once a day. You know, check in. All good, mum. All good. You know? I just I don't know what it is. But And when I came out, um, I, w I would have loved to have stayed in there for another couple of weeks, which no one ever says, but it's true. And I just came out to this, like, very different world where straight back to my little apartment and there must have been about 20 journalists outside and I thought this is weird after mm. I'd been on lockdown for five six weeks in total in Australia and it was also the big thing for me I, I like my sort of everyday normality mm. which I loved in there I had that in a big way so everyone treats you a bit differently after you've done that and particularly in the, the year afterwards it's like you're an alien you know at the checkouts I like it when people are a bit rude and ignore me a little bit. That did not happen for a year. And I just think it's quite a bizarre, I mean, I was 23, I think, when I won it, 23. Um, I think I had to spend a lot of time with like, the people that I'm really, really close to, my friends that don't give a shit about the telly, just to make sure that I was mentally sound, you know? Um, when you say mentally sound, do you mean that it didn't, I suppose, turn your head? Yeah, I didn't want to be affected by that. I wanted to be just like the same girl that I'd always been before, mm. but it's an extraordinary thing that you go through. Um, I mean, honestly, I found the whole thing really joyous. And I found it quite easy, doesn't that sound? I loved it. I loved proving to everyone that I could do things. For me, that's like mm. a massive tick. Um, the food, I've never eaten so healthily my whole life. <laughs> you know, no takeaways, nothing. 
And just for me, I just love having good old chat, like what we're doing now. It's my favourite thing to do. And do you also like that, to a degree, I suspect when you walk in the room, do you like proving them wrong a bit? I love it. I've got this, I've always had this fear that people would just think I'm, it's like vacuous Z-lister. And I really don't want to be known for that. But I love the jewelty of what I do. So I can prance around and be that silly, you know, blonde. I won't use the word dumb because I don't like that. I don't think it should be used. But, you know, I can, yeah, I can do the bikini stuff and I can go to a photo shoot. But at the same time, I like people to think that I can talk about quite serious stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And that's what really, um, that gets me going. I think that's cool. I want to talk about when you're in the jungle, you... You struck up quite a few friendships, but there was one that was really enduring, and that was with Stanley Johnson. I adore him so much, and I'll never forget when he walked around the corner, and I sort of looked up at the sky and I thought, I'm going to be all right here now. (laughs) We are going to have a ball together, and God, we did, and we still do. I mean, I was with him last week, we went up to Manchester. I just think he is such an amazing person. Forget the politics thing. And everyone sort of, it overrides everything. When your son is as prominent as Boris is. And I get that. However, there is something, we just click. I get his humour. We like doing the same things. You know, we go for lunch, we have two bottles of wine each. And we will have such a laugh. And I feel it's, it's been such a privilege. I mentioned earlier that I really love the company of older people. I forget, you know, there's a 56 year age gap between us. I mean, it's mind blowing. I know. And... I would choose to go for lunch with him every day of the week over anyone else. Um, I just think in life you meet some people that you just adore. And um, yeah, he's one of them. We just have a laugh together. Actually, the funny thing is everyone thinks that we probably sit in quite expensive restaurants. We talk about politics, we bang our hands on the table. We say we, we agree with each other. Everything you say is right. It's totally the opposite. Stanley and I have quite differing views on lots of stuff. And I love that. You know, I love that he's, you know, he's one of the first members of the European Parliament. You know, that for me is so interesting, hearing about Brussels, you know, back in the 80s, you know, stuff like that. And I think, you know, yes, I am a bit niche with the things that I like talking about, but to have a friend like him, um, we've, we've made some really amazing memories. And I mean, he, he still has no idea what I've done before the jungle. He just didn't get it. And I've roped him in to do so many silly, silly things from, I got him on Maiden Chelsea, we did The Hunted together, we've done Gogglebox. And I just, he's got another book launch tomorrow. Another one. So he's now gone back sort of churning out ones that he wrote about 40 years ago. I mean, you've got to hand it to the man. You've got to hand it to him. Uh, And I just think as soon as I walk in tomorrow, he'll sort of stop everyone and say, my friend Toff's arrived. I'm like, yes, Dan, I'm here. Don't worry. You know, he'd be on the phone if I wasn't there. Um, I was, whoever um, put us two on that show, I'll be really grateful for them forever. And it is to do with just connecting and thinking works. we get on yeah that's it and it did right from the get-go yeah. I mean, you must have been thinking who is this and i kept on cornering him because for the first couple of days he was a bit like who is this weirdo and he had no idea that i love politics as much as i do and i remember we were going to get some wood i said so san tell me tell me what's going on with the environment stuff recently he sort of turned around and was like what you know about that <laughs> i said you've got to tell me everything and at the time boris was foreign secretary and as Boris does he put his foot in it Um, and I think I have to check carefully with this because I don't want people to think that I'm this like raging true blue Tory because I really am strangely I've got less conservative as I've got older which never happens um, but it has with me but I think any father who 
you know, cares deeply about their children. You know, he is just a father. He's got so many children and they're all bloody successful. And I think he sometimes thinks, why is there so much emphasis on one? Um, Because he's got, you know, six very talented ones. Um, But no, it's just so good. I mean, we had a real hoot last week. I have, um, I've avoided going to the Tory party conference forever because I, I think, you know, as I was saying, I don't really agree with everything that the party does. And I think that's a real outward showing of your support. But I think I was actually a bit short-sighted avoiding it for so long because there's lots of cross-party stuff that goes on. Some really interesting panels and some amazing speakers and lots of good piss-ups as well. (laughs) So Stan called me last week. He said, you've got to come. And I said, Stan, I just don't know whether it's the right thing to do. And he, he sent me a few events. I thought, actually, you know, there are a few things that I should go to and show my support for. And I am so thrilled that I went um, because I think maybe next year I'd like to do my own sort of fringe event talking about young women and get loads of really interesting people to speak at it mm. from, you know, Labour front benches to, you know, even might have to invite the Greens, you know. <laughs> um, but I think, um, yeah, as I was saying, I was quite short-sighted not going. So you've met Boris? I have. I saw him last week. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he's very nice. I, I, I really like Carrie. Um, I think she's really, really cool. And I think the party really needs someone who is a bit forward thinking. And I think the policies that she campaigns for, and this is so outside of the government. I mean, I've, I've been friends and followed Carrie for you know, years, way before she was anything to do with Boris. Um, she does some really, really cool stuff. And I think she's a real asset. Um, and I sometimes get a bit, you know, if you look back and you look at, you know, Theresa May, did we ever hear about Philip May? No, never. Do we hear a lot about Carrie? Yes, she's on the front pages every single day. Um, and I wonder that it, whether that's because she's sort of blonde and in her early 30s. And I find that quite frustrating. We're talking about Stanley's book launch, mm. but he's not the only one. <laughs> because you, Georgia, are a very successful author now. And tell me how this came about, because your new book, so, um, well, you, I'll hand over to you now. Yeah. You have the floor to tell us all. I wish your listeners could see how much I'm grinning. It's the, the <laughs> thing that I'm the most proud of is these bloody books. Um, I have always written and I've been, it's just always been my thing, but I've always wanted to write fiction, but I just never had any confidence. I think the whole TV thing took over and writing was always my personal thing on the side. My bread and butter back then, before I started doing my books now, sort of satirical diary pieces, you know, the silly things that I get up to, poking fun at everyone. That was what I knew I could do. Um, But I always felt like there was a bit of an opening for me to stretch myself. And I always worry that I don't, exercise my brain enough with what I do and um, so a lot of it is sort of standing in front of the mirror and talking about you know it's my bottom lip big in a pair of jeans and stuff like that which is wonderful um but I've always got this yearning to sort of do something else which goes back to the point of me always proving everyone wrong um and I was at a book launch of a friend of mine and I met this amazing lady called Lisa Milton who is basically head of Mills and Boone at HarperCollins and when she said what she did, I said, you are joking me. She said, you can't have read a Mills and Boone novel. I said, I really, I have. And I've read some of the really, really sexy ones. You know, I really love it. And I think then sort of she thought, oh my God, maybe maybe there's a bit of an opening for them to have someone like me. Um, not modernising the brand as such, but maybe bringing a new audience. Because 
I mean, if you read a Milton Boone novel, mm. you know, right? Mm. I think they are just total joy from beginning to end. And I know that they can be seen to be quite archaic in some of the storylines. You know, the stereotypical, a man falls in love with a woman, or rather, the woman starts to obsess over the man, and they get married at the end, and they have a baby, you know, all these wonderful things. And I thought that maybe there might be room for a more modern millennial take on it. And I thought that they would just say, no, that's not the formula that works for us. You know, they sell so many books. And they said, actually, I think you're on something here. And that's where my book, so we called them the Meet Me In series. Mm. Um, so my first one, Meet Me In London, came out this time last year. And I mean, the response was insane. And I wanted to start with... They've sold phenomenally well, yeah. haven't they? It's actually crazy. I still can't believe it. I still get so embarrassed about it. I just, I don't know why. I don't know why that's embarrassing. But I just thought that um, maybe people would think that they were so poorly written that maybe they wouldn't be worth reading. But it turned out that... Um, I don't know. They've just it turned been... out they're not. Yeah, it turned out that I'm actually all right <laughs> at it. Um, and I wanted the first one to ease me into um, sort of romantic fiction writing. So I set it in Chelsea. Classic. I mean, yeah. I know every nook and cranny and all the dirty bars. And, you know, and it was just the most amazing love story. And then as each book has progressed, the last one is the one that I'm the most proud of. Um, it's called Meet Me in Tahiti. And my heroine is a wheelchair user. And... I walked into, I've got this amazing local bookshop near where I live, and I was really trying to think, because if you do a series of four, you've got to be really, really specific with your plot lines. You've got to plan it out, because if not, I'll give the game away in book one, when actually the big crescendo is at the end of book four. And I wanted a really strong, I mean, all of my heroines are incredibly strong women, and really challenged the old, stereotypical Mills and Boone setup. However, I, I knew that one of them had to have something. And I just, I mean, I just hope that we have done it justice. And I worked really, really closely with WizKids, the charity, mm -hmm. because obviously I'm not a wheelchair user and you have to get this right. I mean, out of everything I've ever done, I've never been so nervous about this book. And um, it seems to have gone down so well. I mean, I was crying last week and I'm not a very emotional person, but a lady sent through um, an email to my one that's on the Instagram and she just said, I've never ever read a book that I can so relate to that the wheelchair user like your heroine, it's not a sad ending. It's not, you know, everything's a total misery for her. Mm. It's a celebration and she's a badass bitch and she does what she wants. And in the end, she gets this super hot guy and they end up, you know, happily ever after. Um, and you know, there were, there were really tough bits, you know, writing a sex scene for a young woman who's a wheelchair user. You know, that took a lot mm. and we needed to get it right. And there were lots of going back to the drawing board, going again, asking for so many people and their advice. I mean, when I was writing my dedications for, for that book, I just didn't know where to start because it, it was a hell of a lot of people that have helped me. Um, but it all sort of, it was all worth it when these amazing messages of support started to come in, you know. It's really, I'm so proud of it. It's out of everything that I've done, Meet Me in Tahiti is the, is the coolest thing. Oh, look, look at the horses. Oh, we like that. Hello, Hello. horses. Hello, man on oh, horsey. Lovely. Hello, lady on horsey. So, you have talked a lot as well, which I think is great that you've talked about this. You've been open just about how you've struggled a bit just with your skin and things. And it's not, it's interesting because even saying it, I think, oh, I'm, I'm talking about your appearance, it's no, trivial. But it's I don't think it is because it really did have an effect on you, didn't it? It was huge. And even actually, you know, you said a struggle. Struggle doesn't quite cut it. You know, it was a huge part of my life. Forever, really. For, from the age of sort of 
13. Just had the most terrible spots. I mean, really, really bad ones. And I, it just took over my life. I was just totally embarrassed about it the whole time. And then I went on the telly and I just used to slap on all the wall paint. And you know Made in Chelsea, they have this amazing sort of yellow hue filter. So no one ever really knew how bad it was. And then I went in the jungle and of course everyone could see. And that was a point where I thought, right, enough is enough. You know, I've got to, you know, I never quite will sort them out. However, I've got to start to emotionally come to terms with my spots. And coming out, I mean, the first thing that my mum said, she said, darling, you've done so well. I said, thank you so much. She said, no, no, really, what you have done for people that suffer like you with the spots and the acne, she said, that's what I'm most proud of you for, is sort of sitting there and being like, right, this is me. I've got a few spots and they're quite bad, but, you know, you're still a great person and you've just got to keep on rocking it. And then I had a bit of trolling about the spots. Um, and I did this amazing feature for this morning. I mean, I know, I know. <laughs> The pizza face, that was, that was a good one. <laughs> so silly. I, I laugh about it now, but at the time it used to really upset me. And um, the editor of this morning came up with this idea where I sort of look down the barrel, take off all my makeup, read out the nasty things that people had said. And it was just, honestly, it was the best thing that I ever did. And after that, I thought, well, the embarrassment's gone. Everyone's seen it now. <laughs> um, and it created this amazing community of people. Um, through social media and loads, I mean the amount of people that come up to you on the street and they're like, well done you for talking about it. So if you're in the public eye, you're meant to be quite perfect, you know, mm, mm. you're not meant to have um, acne. But yeah, I'm really glad and it's, um, it's something that I really love talking about. I think it's important. Yeah. And I think like you say, you know, there's so much pressure, particularly mm. when you're young. You know, it's funny because my generation of women, women in their 40s and 50s, you know, their obsession is with getting old. <laughs> yeah. And you just think, give yourself a break. Oh, I spent yeah. my entire youth trying to look airbrushed and perfect and worrying if I had anything wrong with me and just trying to... And actually, it sort of is endless. And I think it's, it's hard when you're young, though. Mm. Looking back, I think I did feel a sense of that that was my currency yeah you know and I, I was letting every I was letting the side down yeah you know so, you get I, that. Um, so I can see that there's pressure yeah because it was so deep-rooted I thought that they, they they just defined me it was if I woke up and they were really really bad on that day I mean my confidence was so low I mean no one would ever really know because I just forced myself through everything but I used to die I remember crying when the cameras would be like this and they'd have to say no don't be silly Georgia you know they might the camera might be close but when it's on the screen, it look far away and all these things. I thought, well, how silly. I was so upset and worried about it for all that time. We tried to say to people, you know, it, it will get better. And if not, you'll just come to terms with it. And actually, you'll find out that, you know, if you have a few spots, it actually gives you a bit of character. And that's that, you know. It's really not an important, important thing. But I also understand how it deeply, deeply affects people. And isn't it interesting that, you know, I watched that show. Mm. I didn't even... No, no, I know. Until you'd mentioned it that you had a problem with your skin. Yeah. And quite honestly, it sounds a bit sort of schmaltzy, but I don't care about schmaltzy. And I, all I mm. saw through Shine was someone with a really lovely heart. Oh, it's so nice. Thank you so much. I hope so. <laughs> you don't see it at the time, do you? Well, I just think everyone's looking at bloody spots. <laughs> How do you... A lot of the time, when you're sunny-natured as you are, mm. the tax you pay on that is showers. And you don't seem a sunshine and showers person. I suppose what I'm saying is, what, what do you like when you're sad? And, and how does that 
How do you process sort of sadness and anger and frustration and all those human things? Oh, I don't really know. I'm not good with that. I'm really not. For the first time, I never know what, I don't know what to say. I just think, what on earth have I got to be sad about? There's nothing, nothing. I'm just trying to think of what I do when I'm upset. So I really do have this like very jolly... Um, do you cry often? Not really, no. Never really cry. When were I, you last upset about something? Oh, I cried last week when that girl sent me a letter about um, my last book. So I thought that was just so special. And the way that she wrote it really got me. Apart from that, when did I last get upset? <laughs> I mean, how weird is that? Do you know, this is quite funny. When I was 19, I had this boyfriend. He said, I just, you know, I think maybe it's the end of the road for us. And I was like, what do you mean it's the end of the road? He said, I just can't deal with how over-the-top jolly you are all the time. And I thought, are you joking? <laughs> We're obviously not that compatible, are we? Unless he was just coming up with an excuse and he sort of <laughs> had gone off me in a big way. I thought, that is so weird. I don't know. I don't know. I, I have had a charmed life so far. And maybe something will happen that I will but think. A lot of Christ, people have you know. charm lives, but they suffer from depression or the blues or whatever you want to call it. And I wonder if you've probably got quite a lot of natural serotonin. Do you think? But I, I think, think so. maybe you're just quite a positive person, right? Yeah, I do. I wake up and feel it. I do. I, I wake up and I think, yeah, I'm quite happy. I mean, of course, the only thing I did get a little bit the year after the jungle, I was just a bit anxious. That was just because everyone was staring at me all the time. Mm. But that sort of passed. And, yeah, I don't know. Do you never have that thing of waking up thinking, I can't believe I did that, I can't believe I said that? Are you <laughs> self-conscious? Yeah, I get it when I've had too much to drink. <laughs> I mean, don't we all? And I love a glass of wine. No, I do. Yeah, sometimes I think, shit, what did you say last night? But then I think, well, you can't change that, can you? You know, my friends aren't going to evacuate. You know, nothing terrible's going to happen, but, you know, it's done. Hi, Hi darling. I've never taken a selfie before. Oh, yeah, bless you. Listen, it's, it's great. Oh, anyway, thank you. Sorry for interrupting. Darling, you're so sweet. Nice to meet you. Oh, I think there's... People want a picture. Did no, you want to take a picture? It's the ducks, not me. They're not on the prowl for the toff. It's the bloody ducks. Can you imagine if we went over? Yeah. yeah no, no, no. I, you want a photograph of me? And they're like, no. I was going to get quite angry. <laughs> I tell you, a rather hilarious thing happened. Oh, that's funny. I was going to get angry with those people because yeah. I was going to say, I felt protective of you, Georgia. And I was going to say, can you not just take a photo oh, of Georgia first. without her permission? And it turned out, as Georgia pointed out, they were taking photographs of the ducks. <laughs> so I could have really embarrassed you there. It's so bad. So bad. Don't, I'm embarrassed. Don't I was that. being a bit protective of you. I love it, my darling. What I'm interested in about you is that you're obviously very self-reliant and independent. And I would say, not always, but in when you've been brought up with a, a degree of affluence, mm -hmm. that's, that's quite unusual, Georgia, because understandably, you know, you're, you're sort of, why would you leave the family bosom when yeah. you've got all your home comforts, you know? <laughs> but you did. And I'm interested, where does this independence and, and self-reliance, you know, despite your privileged start in life financially, mm. You've still always been determined to individuate and do your own thing. So first, I think it was drummed into me that the schooling thing and the school fees was an enormous, enormous privilege. And that was it. When I was 18, I was off. 
and as you mentioned, you know, I did have a wonderful, wonderful upbringing and we had amazing holidays and all these things. And I quite like doing nice things. I'm really not ashamed to say that. And I think if I want to you know, live in this part of London, I want to be able to have the freedom to go and do the things that I want to do, I've got to work hard. And I've got to bring that in because it isn't going to come from my parents. I also love the freedom that it gives you. And I think... You know, I've never ever found myself in a situation where I felt trapped or, you know, I've got to stay somewhere because this is, you know, the best option. You know, if something's not making me happy, I'm off and that's that. And I'm totally self-sufficient. I think as a young woman, I think it's not only important, but I think it's really, really powerful to have that. Yeah. And I'm not scared of it, you know. Yeah. Um, but that's a big driver for me. It's it's the freedom to sort of wherever lay, I lay my hat, I'm happy. And if I'm not happy, I'm off. And that's that. And I hope that maybe I can still go on a few nice holidays here, you know. <laughs> I won't talk about individuals or name them, but yeah. what, what do you like to date? If you, what would a, a boyfriend or someone dating, what would they say about you? If I said, oh, what's George like? <laughs> I think they would probably say, fiercely independent, doesn't take any shit. <laughs> <laughs> a total hoot on a night out and obsessed with doing well in whatever that is you yeah. know, whether it's work or whether it's you know my writing I like to you know if I do something I want to do it well and I think any partner would probably say that about me does it yeah. sometimes mean you don't have you struggle to find time for um, that kind of stuff no come on we could always make time come on remember I write romantic books like I'd like to say that I work like a dog 20 hours a day I mean sometimes I do but you know, most time I don't. I've never ever struggled to find time for that type of thing because I think it's really important and you know I'm 27 next weekend I'm thinking about you know it's a lovely thing to be like I don't care about you know settling and whatever but at the same time you know I haven't had that many serious boyfriends, I think, um, yeah. Oh, look at that barker. Oh, what? What's that, Georgia? Is that a poodle or a cockapoo? I think it might be a mixture of all of it. They're so happy dogs. Does, you, does Monty know. make you really happy? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what I would do without that dog. I adore him, and I never thought I would have that feeling about dog. It's just everything. We might have to do this walk again when the dog calms. I think we might have to. I've got to prove to you that I don't have a completely unruly dog, so I promise you I don't. And I've got a real chip on my shoulder about it now. Really, <laughs> I have. And I will not have it. I'm going to be sending you videos of the dog being impeccably behaved. Do you know what? I absolutely love Monty. He's won, he's won my heart. <laughs> really? Are you sure? Are you sure? You don't have to tell Porky, so... I knew you'd be lovely. Ah, I had crazy. a good vibe about you, Toff. Oh, I hope so, darling. It's very sweet. God, what a nice start to the day. I mean, that'll do. <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed listening to that. And do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes.